Good morning. It's the first time I saw that. Uh, these, aren't these awesome? Uh, Trent, is Trent here? He did all four of these, from what I, I think I heard correctly, in a matter of hours. He's just, the Lord has gifted him in so many ways. And so we're thankful for that. And so you have the four events we're going to look at in Genesis 1 through 11. Creation, flood, fall, or fall, flood nations. So we'll, we'll do, we're going to do that in the next 10 weeks as we look through these 11 chapters. So this morning we're starting in Genesis 1. So if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, would you open them, read along with me just one verse. I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it. In the beginning, Genesis 1, 1. God created the heavens and the earth. Can I hear an amen? Very simple, not confusing. In the beginning, God created everything. That's what happened. He was there. That's how come he knows. None of us were. So he's telling us this is what happened. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray as we go through it, just back to, back to the beginning, back to basics. That your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Your word is our spiritual food and substance. What you have said is true and righteous altogether. And by taking heed to these things, we're warned. And then, Lord, we're guided by truth. And, Lord, we, we do not want to be duped away from the simple things that you've declared to us in your word. So, Lord, anoint, I pray, break fresh these things I prepared. Bless us as we get into your holy word that you've magnified above your name. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So Genesis really means the book of beginnings or the book of origins. It's the beginning of creation, beginning of mankind, the beginning of marriage, family, culture, industry, the beginning of sin and death, the beginning of nations, and, and really specifically the beginning of the nation Israel, and so as we look at the book of Genesis, really it's going to be begin to track the genealogy of our father in the faith, and that is Abraham. And as we follow along these genealogies of his descendants, it's going to ultimately lead to the seed of the woman that we'll see in Genesis 3.15 that God promised when man fell in the garden. Before Abraham even was, God promised that the, that the seed of the woman would come to bruise the serpent's head, destroy the power of the devil. And Jesus came to do just that. Can you hear an amen? So it's sinner man meeting redeemer God. And the whole of the Bible is God's story of redemption. A Christian colonist wrote this, quote, The origin stories of Scripture remind us we belong to a very large and very old family that has been walking with God from the beginning. Even when we falter and, fa and fall, this God is in it for the long haul. We will not be abandoned, unquote. Certainly God is in it for the long haul. He began the whole thing. So there's one beginning in Genesis that... We are not given. And it's the beginning of God. Because you see, in the beginning, God has no beginning and no end. In the beginning, God always is. In the beginning, God is eternal. In the beginning, God is self-existent. I am that I am. So in the beginning, this word in Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis 2, 3, we get over and over 35 times God. The word is Elohim. And it's a Hebrew word. It's a plural of the singular L and the double Ella, and it means a compound unity. 
So when you read God, 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 God 35 times, we'll look at the passage this morning. It's speaking this, it's this word Elohim, which is a compound unity, or as Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a plural noun with a singular, uh, 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 with a singular adjective. In other words, it's grammatically incorrect, but it's true. So in the beginning, there is the Godhead, the Trinity. This is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I declare that to you this morning as true. That is the God who created all things. It's a mystery that I cannot understand, that you cannot understand, but God has revealed himself to us or we would never know it. But he's revealed that to us. He is God, three persons in one. In the book, Delighting in the Trinity, which is a fantastic book by Michael Reeves, he writes this, quote, the bedrock of our faith is nothing less than God himself. And every aspect of the gospel, creation, revelation, and salvation, is only Christian insofar as it is the creation, the revelation, and the salvation of this God, that is the triune God, Elohim. So God, 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 God. What did God do in the beginning? God is love. God is creator love. God is redeemer love. God is, listen, knowable love. He wants to be known. And thus we have this beginning of the beginnings of the creation of the world. Now, in the beginning, God created. In the Hebrew, there's this word bara, which means to create from nothing. So let me say this to you. We are right now in the God League. There's only one person who can create something from nothing, and that is God. And the only reasonable faith is to understand that when we see a creation, there must be a creator. So three times this word is used of five things, bara. The heavens, the earth, sea creatures, birds, and man. Two other words are used in Genesis 1 with very minimal distinctions between them. Asa, which means to make or fashion or fabricate, or like a potter would take the clay and make something of it. The other word is yatser, which means to form or to cut from or to attend to final detail. So there's, it's working with something that's been created. So creation, the word created is bara, formed yatser and made asa or closely related to those. So whether God created something out of, but listen, here, here's, here's an interesting thing that I think is important, very important. Whether God created something out of nothing or created something from material that he had just made, the force of the words in Genesis, in the context, is that both kinds of activities were instantaneous and supernatural after God said, let there be. Can I hear an amen? amen. God said it, it happened. Amen. In seven, I believe, literal days. All the first days of creation, the sixth, it says, then God said... And all those days, then there was, or it was. So God said it, and it happened. That's no problem for God. How we wish we could just say it, and it happened. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> and this whole thing of positive confession is positively wrong many times. You can't just say it, and it happens. 
You can say, you know, John says that. If a man says, if a man says, we can say a lot of things, but the question is, are we really that? Is that really what's happening? See, we can live in fantasy land, but God doesn't do that. God's not there. When he says it, it happens every time, and in this case, instantaneous. God said it, and it happened. I love it. (laughs) I get excited about that. Now look at verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now this is a challenging verse. The earth was without form and void. In the Hebrew, there's a couple words, and I don't know if I'm saying these correctly, tahu and bohu, which are, are the words waste and desolate or uninhabited and desolate. So you have this in this verse. It's a challenging verse. There's an overtone of judgment whenever these two words are used in the Old Testament, in the Bible. Ruin, it would seem, as a result of some kind of wrath. Isaiah 34, 11 and Jeremiah 4, 23 and after that use these two words speaking of the wrath of God, the results of God's wrath. Isaiah 45, 18, you can jot this down if you haven't turned to it. I, I should have put it on the screen. I'll do that next time I teach Genesis in about 50 years or something. But, <laughs> so, but follow me if you will. If you have your Bibles, it'd be good to open them. Isaiah 45, 18. For thus says the Lord who created, that's the word bara, out of nothing, the heavens, who is God, who formed, yatzer, the earth and made it, asa, who has established it. Now notice, here's where we get things that we need to think about and wrestle with. Who did not create bara, it in vain, or tahu. Who formed Yatzer it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. So people say, well, there's a contradiction there. Because Genesis saying it was, it was in that condition. And here Isaiah is saying God didn't create it in that condition. I offer you what I've, what I've read uh, as something to think about. Because critics do see this as a contradiction. But in my own study, the truth is that there are these challenges, I believe, to be intellectually honest and to be able to have discussions, we need to allow for that in things like this. So the earth was without form and void. In in the King James Version, it has, and the earth was without form and void. So there's this this grammar, much like, and Lot's, but Lot's wife became a pillar of salt. That whole transition. Other translations like the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible, about 285 BC, has it translated, but the earth became. The same is true in the Latin Vulgate, which was written about 200 AD. But the earth became. In the Aramaic Bible, but the earth was ruined and uninhabitable. Now, I don't have, uh, I'm not going to say I have an answer here. It's just something, what I would say in these kind of, say, uh, I'm filing that for further information. Because I know God, has a, God is the answer. So the structure, though, implies a desolation succeeding a previous condition. There are many major authorities who translate this verse, but the earth became without form and void. So it's interesting that darkness was on the face of the deep. Now, darkness often is spoken of in the Bible as sin and rebellion. The deep is the word abuso. So, here's my question I'll leave with you. Is it possible that this is describing some kind of reconstruction of a ruined planet? Is it possible there's some kind of gap between verses 1 and 2? I'll talk about that again in a moment. 
where something happened of tragic, cataclysmic significance. And then that God was renovating that. Now, I have problems with a lot of things here, and this is one of them, and so I'm just laying it out for you to go and find out. Now, in doing that, I want to put a, a, a book up here that I think every one of you, if you haven't already or you haven't at least delved into these things, this book is an excellent resource where, where Natasha Crane, and we did a small group on this that, that Janelle Gregg led us through, which was fantastic. There are 40 questions. It's really directed toward parents, but when I was going through that, I'm saying, man, this is such a great resource. She's laying out the different things that we're wrestling with as believers. For example, the gap theory. And so it gives the positions on the gap theory. How did God create the earth? Now, here's the question. In dialoguing with your children, particularly you parents, that's what this is about. There's another one. She has a second book. We're going to be doing that in the fall. But in dialoguing with your children, are you asking the questions that they're being asked and challenged with about their faith? Because let me say to you, the evolutionary theory is bought, is, is, is swallowed hook, line, and sinker without even thinking about it. And so, do you know the basic about natural evolution? Theistic evolution. Intelligent design. Now you think intelligent design is Christian. You need to find out. It's not Christian. It can be if we believe that there is a God, Elohim. But the intelligent design would say, well, there must be some kind of uh, intelligent design. But they won't name it. When did God create the earth? Do you know some basics about the young earth creationism? Old earth creationism. See, these are... Essential. Another one I'll hit in a minute also. How do you understand the word day? Yom. Now I already said to you, I made, I believe in six literal days. And I'll share that in a moment. But knowing those things, is it referring to a literal 24-hour period? Or is it a day a theory? Which I think has a load of problems unlike the literal day. So these positions are going to be continued to be, to be debated. And if not by you, your children are being, are being fed lies. And my friends, let me tell you this. The word of God is the truth. Amen. But we need to be able to give a reason for that hope that's in us. Genesis brings up so many things about which we must be able to say here is what we are talking about. Why are we talking about? Because here is what God said. God said it. And so I hope that you'll possibly get into that and then maybe in the fall you can come and join us. And the Spirit, verse 2 again, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Hovering means to, move, to be moved or brooded like a hen with her chicks. So the Holy Spirit's brooding. So here we have the Trinity, God the Father involved in creation. God the Holy Spirit involved in creation. And then in the New Testament, we read this, John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. Wow. Jesus is Creator God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by Him, listen, by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, angelic 
or principalities or powers. All things were created through him. And listen, through him and for him. He is the object of all creation. And we get to be a part of it with him. So in the beginning, God. I want to give you six things God did in the beginning. Six things that God did in the beginning. Now notice, first of all, God created everything. You need to give me an amen on that. God created everything. Everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness on the face of the earth and deep of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God created everything. Now we look at bara and we look at this word yatsar and asa. The first day we don't find them. It's when God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God separated the light from the darkness. Do you know in the light spectrum, there's a very small sliver that's visible? Huge. So God sort of pulled the light out of the darkness, if you will. Second day, and God made the firmament. Third day, God said, let the dry ground and the plant leaf seek. See, no, there's not, neither of these words are there. And so that third day, the, he brought the dry ground out and plant and seeds began to grow out of the soil. On the fourth day, God made the sun, moon, and stars. On the fifth day, God created sea animals and birds. On the sixth day, God made land animals and, listen, created man. And then on the seventh day, God rested from all he had created and made. Both words. So God created everything. That's what God did in the beginning. Now, three more things. God said it, God saw it, and God called it. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> he created everything, he said it, he saw it, and he called it. So let's look at the first day. God said, let there be light, notice, and there was light. And God saw the light, he saw, said it, he saw it. God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the darkness light. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. So God called it. This is what it's going to be called. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So on the first day, God said, let there be light. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, let me just give you a little bit here on this word yom. It means day in Hebrew, the day of atonement, the yom of atonement. In the Old Testament, 1,480 times the verse is found. It's translated in 54 different words. 1181 are translated day, 67 times the word time, relating to a general concept. I'm rattling off here, so I hope I'm not going to lose you in the, in the wake. Again, I believe in a seven literal day creation. In Genesis, it, this word occurs over 100 times. Now listen carefully. Where it is tied to a cardinal or an ordinal number, one, two, or first, second. And the Old Testament, it always means a literal 24-hour period of time. So I believe in a literal seven days. And I believe that God had a divine purpose in the literal seven days. On the seventh day, he, sanctioned, he sanctified the Sabbath. And so I read in Exodus chapter 20, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. 
Two in it you shall do no work, for in six days the Lord made heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Exodus chapter 29 through 11. So I believe there, in my mind, simply, clearly, it's seven literal days. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm preparing a little mini-series that I'm looking forward to when we're done with these first 11 chapters. I want to talk about the Sabbath and sanctifying the Sabbath in the context of simplify. And I hope that that's still rattling around your heart and mind. It is mine. Just the continuing ongoing need, we have to simplify our lives and live them how God called us to live them. And one of those things, before the law ever came, before the nation of Israel, God right here in Genesis sanctified the Sabbath. As a day, and, and Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God gives us this rest day as a means of recuperating, if you will. As a means of, but not just to sit down and do nothing, but to focus our eyes on our creator, redeemer God. And honor him and worship him. So I'm going to be getting into that. That'll begin, the, I think it's the last week of May or April or something like that. Okay, the second day. God made the firmament. So again, he said it, he saw it, he called it. God said, let there be the firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Verse seven. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which are under the firmament from the waters which are above the firmament. And notice, and it was so. He said it and it was so. Verse eight. God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. So God calls it, that's gonna, it's gonna be the heaven. The firmament heaven, so the atmosphere and all that. Third day, again, God said it, saw it, he created everything, he said it, he saw it, he called it. Verse nine, third day. And God said that the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the, earth's, on the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herbs that yield seed according to its kind, and the seed that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. Ten times this rephrase, according to its kind, and God saw it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. So God said it, it happened. He saw it, it was good. He called it, and on a few things, he's saying, this is what that name's gonna be. Now, he gave some of that responsibility to Adam as far as the animals, but right now, he's calling it, this is what it is. Now, here we have this repeated phrase, according to its kind. A specific species, species, <laughs> will never cease to be that species or become another species. That's the lie of the evolutionary theory. As though God was preparing for the invasion of evolution indoctrination according to its kind, according to its kind, according to God. In other words, a fruit fly will always be a fruit fly. It's God-engineered genetics. You can't escape it. It's how God created it. Now, we've scientifically been able to get into the DNA structure and, and we're messing around with it. But let me say this. A fruit fly will always be a fruit fly. A dog will never give birth to a kitten. Listen, 
It's God's design genetics. It's DNA. It's what God said. And with that, a male will never become a female, and a female will never become a male. It's DNA. It's genetics. According to its kind. And over and over we get that here. And God, I believe, is laying out, hey, this is how it works. (laughs) This is how it will always work. This is how I've designed it. This is how I created it. And you cannot change that. We might be able to cosmetically make changes, but the the structure that God has put in place, that DNA, when it's messed with, it usually makes a mess. On the fourth day, again, he said it, he saw it, he called it. God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for the lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Wow. I mean, just stop and pause a moment. Zillions, billions, whatever. I don't even know what goes after billions, but I mean, countless. And the more that that the universe is studied, the more incredible it is. When I consider the heavens, the work of her hands, the moon, the stars that you ordained, what's man that you're mindful of him? I mean, we're this puny little thing in God's vastness. Wow. Verse 18. To rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And so these stars and moon are, are to mark time. God gave them to provide signs. Interesting, some believe the gospel was written in the stars until it was polluted by astrology and all those things and to give light on the earth. Now the final uh, two more here. God blessed him and God rested. So here's what God did. He created everything. He said it, he saw it, he called it, he blessed it, and he rested. Wow. That's what God did in the beginning. Then God said, verse uh, Uh, on the fifth day. Then God said, verse 20, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created bara, great sea creatures, and every living thing that moves which was with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And it does appear that these were made full maturity. Interesting. In the sixth day, God made land animals and created man. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Now, you might say, well, how can you see these creepy things crawl and say it's good? Well, at that point, it was good. <laughs> then sin came and got these creepy things that we say, oh, they're no good. <laughs> then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created Bara, man, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Notice, male and female, he created them. Now here it is, verse 28. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, just like with the cattle. Bless them and said, be fruitful and multiply. 
Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He's giving man dominion over his planet. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree who yields fruit, who, whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be for food. Appears it was all vegetarian at this point. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the seventh day. And then we have now in chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And, his, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Notice it's finished. It's done. It wasn't that God was tired. He was done. The Lord doesn't, weak, doesn't get weary. Oh, sitting down for, no. He was done. It was finished. It was complete. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day, and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created, bara, and made. And so now, we get into Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. And all the way through chapter 3, there's a distinct change that happens. Rather than God Elohim, we have this repeated title, the name of God, the Lord God, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You read ahead next week, chapter 2, chapter 3. 20 times, 11 in chapter 2 and 9 in chapter 3. He is the Lord God. And we're going to look at next week six things the Lord God did for you. For you. We're going to look at that next week. So read ahead, Genesis 2. I want to come back to made in his image. Just a couple thoughts, and then I want to wrap up with some other scripture. God said, let us make man in our image. What does it mean to be created in God's image? Let me say this to you very simply. It means a lot. <laughs> it means a lot. And there are many things probably you've read and you've thought of. In fact, as I go along, particularly as I've seen my children growing up, I think, oh, that, look at that, look at that. Because I have perspective now as a parent. But let me give you things that I've thought of. Number one. I am spiritual, in essence. I'm spiritual. I'm the inferior trinity of body, soul, and spirit. And so I am essentially a spiritual being, different from all the animals. And in that spiritual image of God, I can have fellowship with God who is spirit, who must be worshipped in spirit and in truth, the realm of the spirit. I possess a soul, a consciousness, my mind, my emotions, and my will. And I live in this thing called my body. Now, I am not my body. God gave me this body as a means of expressing my soul to you. Now, I'm going to be very happy when this little body is folded up. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> Where this, this tent is going to be put off. I'm going to discard it like you would any temporary dwelling. You discard it, and I'm going to have a building of God not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. And for these things, we yearn to be released from these bodies. Sarah Brand, many of you know Sarah. She went to be with the Lord. We had her memorial yesterday. 
I can tell you, she's not wondering, oh man, I wish I could have stayed in my body. She is in the presence of God in that glorified body that he is preparing. He, God, has prepared for us. Secondly, I'm spiritual, yes, but I'm also an eternal soul creating his image. Notice, what I do with Jesus Christ in this life will determine what happens with him when I die. There is an eternity that is yet ahead of every one of us. And to reject Jesus Christ is to stay in darkness and death and choosing, which is what you're doing, choosing death over life. I am an eternal soul. And with that, I am moral as God is. I know right from wrong. I have a conscience. I'm accountable to a moral code of righteousness and holiness. And God require an accounting of that when I see him in glory. Now here's a beautiful one. I am sacred. I'm sacred. Genesis, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. for in the image of God he made man. My life is a sacred thing to God. Every single solitary life is a sacred masterpiece of God's creative genius. We'll look more at this next week. Every single solitary life, listen, has eternal value to God. I'm not only sacred, I'm self-determining. Now, I have the ability to make choices. My choices are real and my choices matter. And how I live as a self-determinant in God's image being, when I make choices, they're real, they matter, and therefore there are consequences. It's sobering, yes, but it's also powerfully amazing. And God will honor my choices. And when he offers me the gospel of Jesus Christ and I make a choice, not based on everything I've done, but based on what he's done, when I make that choice, he honors that choice just like he promised and he gives to me eternal life. I am sacred, self-determining. And here's one too. I'm creative. In other words, I am original. And you say, yeah, you sure are. (laughs) I can be inspired. I can be artistic. I can be innovative. I can learn skills and learn things I never knew how to do. I can be resourceful and innovative. I can be productive. I can, in my mind, I can imagine my mind's eye about things that do not yet exist and see them there. And then as as I see them, I begin to think about it and plan it and do it. I am creative. And finally, there are many others, I'm sure. Listen, you and I are bottom line spiritually relational. I'm relational, just as God is. I need people. I need family. I need friends. And so does everyone else. I need comfort. I need support. I need time. I need to be loved, and I need to love. I need to give, and I need to receive. It's relational. I need to be cared for, and I need to care for others. It's relational. And because of sin, I need to be forgiven, and I need to forgive. It's relational. Centered in every horizontal relationship is the vertical relationship that I have with God. He loves me. He cares for me. God is always the initiator. I am always the responder. That's the difference. 
and he knows my need, and he forgives me of all my sin because of Jesus. So there are six things God did in the beginning. First of all, he created everything. He said it, he saw it, he called it, he blessed it, and he rested. I want to turn out a couple of scriptures that are important. Our creator God is worthy of all of our praise and worship. Amen. O Lord, capital R-D, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Who have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? He is worthy of all worship and praise and humble adoration. What is man that you're mindful of him? That you set your heart on him. You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. These are just pungent with the aroma of the majesty of our creator. Our creator God points us to the revelation of his word. That's what he does. Listen carefully. If you want to turn there, I'd love it. Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, creation. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world, and there is in, and in their words to the end of the world, in them he has set as a tabernacle for the sun. Like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. There's such a joyousness to it. An anticipation of it. A hoping in it. And rejoice like a strong man to run its race. You've, you've gone at it and here you are. Now you get to run it. With creator God. It's rises from one end of heaven. And circle to the other end. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. Creation. Notice. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect, converting the soul. You see, our creator God points us to his word. It converts the soul. The testing of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judge of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey in the honeycomb. And by them, more by them, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Our creator God points us to the revelation of his word. All creation cries out. God is speaking. Now, who can understand his errors? Psalm 19. This is how. He created all things. He points to it. How can a young man, how, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. He's creator pointing us to his word. Converts the soul, rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes. 
Then I shall be blameless and be innocent of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight because you're the only one who matters. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The whole of this story is about God's redemption. Now, nothing baffles the mind so much as trying to figure out how all this got here and what it all means. Apart from God's word, it results in foolish theoretical inventions. But with God's word, it blows the mind and brings forth a faith and truth in the depths we never thought possible. Apart from God's word, it darkens the heart with compounding foolish conclusions. But with God's word, it enlightens the eye. It lightens the heart with love and purpose and meaning. In the beginning, God created everything. And he saw it was very good. Apart from God's word, it leaves only despair and meaninglessness. But with God's word, it brings a faith that sees and a hope that knows. Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the substance of things not seen, is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things that are seen are not made with things, so that things which are, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. I mean, he was saying, there's atoms. <laughs> there's these, these things that are going to keep it all together. So as to beginnings, and I'm wrapping up here because I want to speak to you who maybe are fighting God in the matter of your salvation. Him being creator. As to beginnings, we don't get to imagine how all these things happened. We don't get to theorize as to how all these things came to be. Now, we might do that, but to our own detriment. You see, God has told us, and he was the only one who was there, exactly what happened. We just read it. God has revealed to us, the only one who was there, exactly what happened. This is what happened. God is the great cause of every created thing. Creator God will leave no one in the dark who has sincerely opened their eyes to see him. How? Creation, conscience, and Christ. Creation. Creation shouts a creator. Anywhere there is creation, there is a creator. He is greater, smarter, and more powerful than the creation. There is no way to say this sensitively, but I feel it must be said. To say all this just happened is really an extreme position of blind faith. That's impossible. The fool, Psalm 14, 1, which really is the word stupid, has said in his heart, there is no God. It's foolish. Creation shouts creator. 
Now, we all live by faith. But God says, in effect, to those who believe the Bible, I'm not going to ask you to believe something that's not rooted in reality and logical observation. What you are believing is based on logic and fact. In fact, you try to describe what happened to the world and why it's in the condition. The only logical thing that makes sense is what God has given to us in his word. Yes, we live by faith, but it's based on, a re- on the reality of God and the revelation of his word. We're walking by faith. We don't see less. We see more because we see God. Whenever we see creation and the amazing complexity therein, we know there's a creator. When we see design and the intricate order and interconnectedness, we know there's a designer. Whenever we're dealing with our conscience, we know there's a moral code outside of us. Everyone in the world knows that deep down, he or she is absolutely obligated to do what's right and what is good. This is not an environment conditioning from which we need to free ourselves. But because we're creating the image of God, we have been given this marvelous intuitive knowledge. It's built in that there is a right and there is a wrong. And if you try and run up against that too often, you're going to kill yourself. Every person is born with a conscience that is uniformly there from God. According to his moral code, murder, adultery, rape, lying, always viewed as wrong. There's a uniformity in in our very spiritual DNA that relates to our conscience. So we see that that the standard of our conscience is higher than our own practice. And we see that. And we know that. Why is that? Why do we live lower? Because the conscience is from God. He's created it, inscribed it on, the heart, on our hearts, and he reveals his existence in conscience. In other words, if I, were just trying to, if I was if the one defining what's good and bad, everything I do is good and everything you do is bad. And you can't say anything about that. But then you can say, well, no, no, everything I do. And you see, there's a moral co- a code that's higher than us, and we don't live up to it, and we know it. We're not evolving upward. Can you hear an amen? Amen. We are falling and fallen. And thus, when we come face to face with our sinful condition, we can know personally a creator, redeemer, God. He met us there at the cross. He meets us there at the cross. You see, God made it clear to anyone who sincerely want to know, sincerely open their eyes to see him. Creation reveals the existence of a creator God. Romans chapter 1, we must, I want to read these because they're so important. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, notice, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They don't want to know the truth. They're holding it down. Because what may, what may be what may be known of God, listen, is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, 
being noticed, understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Because although they knew God, uh, uh, so they're without excuse. There's no other explanation, none. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professed to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and birds and four-footed and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to defile their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for, notice, the lie. Not only creation reveals the existence of a created God, conscience reveals the existence of a good God. Paul in Romans chapter 2, verse 12, as many as have sinned without the law will perish without law. As many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law will be justified in sight, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles, listen, who do not have the law, by nature do those things contained in the law, the moral code, these, although not having law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, or sort of talking to themselves, accusing or excusing themselves, in the day when God, when God would judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. See, the conscience reveals a good God. But finally, Christ Jesus reveals the existence of a knowable God. A noble God. Cecilia Purr from Entrusting the Word wrote this quote The humanistic evolutionist refuses to see what is obvious, refuses to meet the God who wants to be known, who want only to deny God and end up with nothing but the utter folly and utter hopelessness. Unquote. I trust you're hearing this as one who desires, if you don't yet, to know God. It's all solved. In December of 1996, evolutionist Carl Sagan, probably the most well-known astronomer in the world, died. Knowing he was soon to die, he had an interview with Ted Koppel, who asked him, quote, Do you, sir, have any words of wisdom for the people of the world? Sagan replied, We live on a hunk of rock and metal that circles a humdrum star, that is one of 400 billion plus billion other stars that make up the Milky Way galaxy, which is one of billions of other galaxies which make up a universe, which may be one of the larger, large number, perhaps an infinite number of other universes. This is well worth pondering, unquote. Carl Sagan gave his life to study the universe, but he did so obstinate to believe a lie called atheistic evolution. Blinded in his pride, he had no room for a creator God to whom he might have to answer to and therefore persisted in a self-centered, godless, life just sort of happens reality. He died empty and hopeless, only knowing the universe exists, but never knowing how it existed or why it existed and most tragically, he never knew the one who created it and created him. Never knew him. That is so tragic and so sad because God wants to be known. You see, it's not for lack of evidence, but for lack of humility before a holy God. Lack of repentance in the consciousness of my bad. He wouldn't acknowledge everything is made by God 
who created the universe. Albert Einstein said this, quote, of course there is a massive intelligence behind the universe. A man is a fool who doesn't believe that. Sadly, Dr. Einstein went on to say, but we could never know him. Let me say to you, oh, yes, you can. And yes, I do. Now, you may not like the fact that God created you. You may not like it that God said it, and it's so. You may not like it that God sees your bad. You may not like it that God calls it what it is, darkness and sin. You may not like it that God blesses what he chooses. And you might not like it that God rested. He's done. The question is, are you? You see, it's up to you who don't yet know him. It's, and, and if these things, you don't like it, it's, it's no wonder you don't know him. You don't know him. But you can. And that's what I want us to bow our hearts and heads right now. Would you pray as we close and the worship team comes on? God, we thank you so much for Jesus. And we bow our hearts before you to worship and praise your name forever and ever. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you should visit him? This amazing, amazing revelation of what happened and why it happened and who made it happen is you. So as we're praying, just if you're here and you don't know yet, know Jesus. I hope today you'll say yes to him. He came into this world, God himself incarnate in human flesh to die on a cross, the perfect human being, to pay the penalty for your sin, and thus through it release God's mercy into your life if you will come to him and ask. So I'm going to ask you to do three simple things. Number one, just raise up here and say, yes, I, I want to get right with God today. And second, I'm going to ask you to stand and just make that public confession. It's so important, and it really seals what you know you have to do before God. I'm going to ask you to walk up to one of the tables where someone will lead you in prayer talking to God and you're giving your life to him this morning so that's you would you just put up your hand and say yeah I want to say yes to Jesus right here in this room this time bound place called earth but here I want to make an eternal decision if you believe in him you will receive eternal life so just pray and I hope that you'll continue praying it's a spiritual battle that goes on every time you or I are talking to someone about their eternal destiny. That we have an adversary that doesn't want you to know God, know Jesus. Like with Eve in the garden, he wants to tempt you by questioning God's word and questioning and doubting what he said, thinking it's unfair, and that is not true, as we'll see when we get into these further chapters. But for just this morning, you want to say yes to Jesus. let's worship the Lord and I'll close prayer. Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.